Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are recording. Fellowship of the Range. <laughs> I forget what round this is now. It's round two of actually fellowship of the range yeah round two of fellowship of the range yeah welcome back yeah fellowship of the range (laughs) flexibility strikes back (laughs) so we just we just merged (laughs) we merged lord of the rings with star wars yeah (laughs) star wars but we ignore game of thrones because let's face it it got ruined yeah Yeah, it's not even we're talking about somehow it makes sense fellowship of the range to bring star wars and Lord of the Rings together. <laughs> yeah. Um, how you doing, guys? Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Great. Yeah, good. Um, How's it going with the gym, Jeff? So I'm, I'm like 14 weeks out. So be, everything's been ordered. Everything's good to go. It's just delays with manufacturing and shipping. So they, Rogue, I got everything from Rogue. So Rogue told me that manufacturing will actually be like 10 weeks which is pretty good considering everything right now Um, but the freight shipping is backed up so it could literally be anywhere between 10 to 14 weeks yes it's kind of a pain in the ass because we have to uh i got some big pieces right it's not just all uh stuff that has to be built like i got some like a lat pull down machine and a bunch of different things so we have to have a forklift there to unload so trying to coordinate what day it's going to be here and renting that and making sure I haven't rented it for a week and I'm paying for a forklift just to sit. It's, you know, it's so it's, it's quite a hassle, but it's good. It's, it's literally just a waiting game now. Everything has been done. So I'm excited about that. Awesome. I look forward to visiting. Yeah, it'll be fun. Or a road tour once we can go visit and come down teaching your gym. Yeah. Use yeah. That. I mean, I ha- I'm kind of trying to decide what I'm going to do. I think I might open it with a, I might open it with like a small workshop or seminar or something. So um, the same weekend that it, that it, it opens up. So I have to kind of figure that out because it, if people want to travel to the the land of the free um, to do that, then uh, you know, 14 weeks is like a decent amount of time. People can plan ahead. So I have to figure that out soon. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We're locked. Yeah. I hope we got like one of those big ass Texas barbecue things going on. Yeah, like food trucks and yeah, 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 exactly. Big roast. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we're not locked down by that point. We're locked down right now, so um, yeah, that would be awesome to get out and do some squats, squats and splits. Yeah, doms for the first time. I finally have cracked on buying some weights from a place ever, so I can sold out. But as usual, but they're coming soon. Oh, that's good. Wizard gains coming. <laughs> never want to go to the gym again I think it's rule. So, the landscape has definitely shifted for sure yeah. yeah either there's going to be a lot of exercise equipment available after this 
for cheap because people are going to want to get rid of it or gyms the gym model is going to be a, a tough one to you know to do but i think if you create the right space like if you do like a more boutique style gym like i'm going to do you have a better opportunity to create like a good environment that people want to be in versus like a globo gym right so yeah we'll, we'll see how it goes i think it now's the time if you're going to do something like that now's the time to kind of create that 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 vibe so yeah it's kind of interesting just on a business front in ireland when we had the financial crash was when we had at one point we had the highest density of crossfit boxes in the world in dublin possibly wow. in the whole Ireland, but in dublin in general and it was kind of funny because like commercial space was so cheap to rent you could rent like big facility on a three thousand square foot four thousand square foot facility for like i don't know about a grand a month oh wow and then people were getting it like because just everything was fucked so so many fitness businesses came up and obviously a lot of them washed out over the years and it's kind of but it's an interesting interesting case study on businesses because a lot of the gyms survived the ones who were kind of shrewd and like put a lot of thought into their business systems which no one really talks about i suppose unless you're into the business side of things but they survive and they grow and they've like got multiple franchises and there's a couple of them have like a few gyms in dublin a few gyms in london that kind of shit whereas other ones like the state of some of the crossfit gyms there's one i remember in particular where they were co-sharing a warehouse space with some like uh fulfillment company so you'd have to walk through all these kind of shelves of fulfillment boxes and stuff through the forklift and everything down to the back half of the gym to get to the box that one didn't last obviously but yeah. uh kind of interesting time for people who are like this is the time like commercial real estate is probably never going to be cheaper worldwide yeah it is now if you can lock in yeah. a good contract be like okay cool ready to go yeah, yeah it's interesting because in florida the real estate's going up because the exodus is like occurring here right so everyone's leaving the lockdown states for florida and texas and so our 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 real estate is actually blown up so i'm, I'm lucky that i signed the contract on the lease a year ago <laughs> before you know in the middle of the crisis when no one knew what was going to happen versus now where as we're actually fully open so it's changed it quite a bit but yeah, it's it's an interest. It's kind of interesting how that works. On as another side note, on the gym equipment front, I seen an ad on our local kind of Gumtree or Craigslist, the Irish equivalent of it, and it was someone who'd bought themselves a fucking leg press machine. <laughs> the house was like clearly not a big house. It wasn't like oh, I have my own oh garage. Sitting in their sitting room, I had some clothes <laughs> hanging off it, and have like proper foot like. Not a hammer, like look like a knockoff of a hammer strength forty five degree leg press. I was like, "What the fuck were you thinking?" Is like, "Oh, I want to train my legs." Like, let's face it, leg press is useful in training and they're good fun. Right? Yeah. But like, if you're gonna like get out your house, like five grand leg press or ten grand leg press is not what you want to get as your first well, first point of order. It's the same with the. Uh, I'm on a like a garage gym Facebook page where people just post the training from their garage gym. And something that I've seen the most is the best belt squat machine. <laughs> it's like those things are massive yeah. and they're expensive. And yeah. it's like, it just goes, this can probably segue this right into what we're going to talk about today. But it's like your, your, your mobility is so jacked up and your joints are so jacked up that you have to spend somewhere, like you said, in the ballpark of probably five to $10,000 to buy a machine to try to simulate what you could do for, Let's say you could buy a bar and a rack and a nice set of plates for probably, you know, fifteen hundred, like a yeah. good like a good set, um, and you got to spend almost ten times that. 
like 10 times and then fit it in your, you know, and, and if you think of space, like a, a rack, if you do a breakaway rack, you could just push it together, store it out of the way, whatever. But belt yeah. ma- These machines are huge. Like if they take up so much space. It's like, yeah. it's not really like, the most economically efficient purchase, you know? Yeah. I blame Louis Simmons for this. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Hyper, like, yeah. It's one of those mm. things that obviously they use it a lot on West side and it obviously gets a lot of use, but, uh, yeah. I think a lot of people what they use the belt squat for can just be replicated with a dip belt and some plates and some chairs. Yeah, and stand on some boxes. Yeah, exactly. Well, someone was doing lunges on them the other day. Jim, I was <laughs> that had one, and they were trying to explain it to me, and I was like, "You don't really need this machine to do that." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyways, and I find the reverse hyper is very much the same too. Like a good machine, albeit, but every gym I've been at that has one it's collecting dust and there's coats hanging on it in the corner well to be fair it's because no one like trains their low yeah. back really anyway right it's the same with even like a 45 degree back extension that's usually i guarantee every time i go to the gym i'm guaranteed two machines a seated calf raise and the back extension no one uses either one of those things so i know that every time i go i can use those things but <laughs> the good thing about the reverse hyper is they did come out with the new scout reverse hyper i don't know if you've seen that but it like folds up and you can just kind of store it away, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of. Or you can just do a good like, morning. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good segue into what we're getting into, like talking about machines, right? <laughs> just talking about machine, you're talking to three machines right now. Exactly. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, everyone's uh, still, you know, the big talk is rotation. I think more so it's like, I think people will want to hear our thoughts on rotation, maybe outside of the flexibility. I mean, I know we're going to talk about flexibility, but, <laughs> but just that, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about financial freedom today, actually <laughs> financial flexibility. <laughs> Sorry. I had to, I had to, I had to, I couldn't <laughs> I teach you how to rotate stock portfolio everyone's seen the market is crossing <laughs> what you do is you get the chart you rotate that shit upside down and everything's up again <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah just flip your bitcoin chart this way you're good yeah um well yeah i mean rotate that's kind of even you know everyone's looking at rotation and no one's everyone's confused i think that's so confused everyone's confused about how to apply rotation where it should be applied and how do you improve rotation and what should you actually be working on? And I think it's like still that thought process. Like when you think about rotation in your head, you're, you're, you're just like doing some weird <laughs> shit with the barbell, like some kind of landmine thing or some kind of anti-rotating exercise. That's still, I think people are trying to figure out like, what does all this mean? <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of interesting. Just I'd like to talk a bit about anatomy, but get us kicked off on this. And I think there's an interesting way of thinking about the human body at a very fundamental level. It's two interlock spirals all the way down. You look at, say, the anatomy of the heart. We dissect it out. It's two spirals kind of wrapped around each other, two helixes. If we start getting bigger and bigger, like if we think, oh, shoulders, lats, we think fiber direction of the lats, fiber direction of the glutes. Oh, it makes a spiral crossing one side, the other side, the obliques, down the quads all the way down we have these kind of inherent spirals and muscle fiber directions and everyone's kind of the body is basically made to rotate 
And a lot of our like movement, if we look at our sporting movement, is this kind of rotation on one side, stretching on the other, of oh, that spiral, release, stretch, release, pull yep. the bow, shoot the arrow. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of quite interesting. And then a lot of our l- movement that appears linear is actually the two helixes working together to drive a linear motion. So thinking about that is always quite an interesting interesting way to think about the body, I suppose. And it's like, oh, we have these planes and we have these directions the body is, you know, it's very very basic physiotherapy rehab 101. It's like someone can't fire a muscle. What do you do? You put the load and the lever in the direction of the fibers and make them lift. It's, you know, it'll make things work. But then if the body is biased towards that, how do we actually get into that? Mm-hmm. One of those interesting things is one of these things, like a lot of people try to try and figure it out. And you see this a lot with, say, I don't want to say because we're in race occultists, but the functional patterns crew. If we, I think, it's one of those things. I have a lot of criticisms of functional patterns, but I think it's one of those things Audi has kind of nailed interestingly is like people don't train rotating patterns and because they're whole organism patterns, they don't train them a lot or they try to build the resources in training then hope it comes out in the sporting activity. Yeah, that's the big one. So it's kind of interesting. Like how do we, how do we get out? Because everyone thinks like, oh, linear motion, going to going to starting strength as an example, where like all your bar paths have to be straight. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, your bar paths are never straight, but that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. And it's like, well, is there a rotation happening in that, in the body that's actually generating that linear motion? Mm-hmm. So just get us started on a deep dive. There's a lot of things in there for people to jump onto and uh, have a look <laughs> yeah. at in the body. Yeah, that's... I think you really nailed it with, I mean, we're getting confused in seeing these systems trying to um, apply those thoughts and concepts in their like exercises and, and, and uh, workouts, right? Like it's all these weird functional movements all of a sudden, right? It's like, well, it's, we're training rotation and the fascia works together. And so we're, I got to do all these different planes of movement and I got to, you know, spin around this way and throw my body into a band or some, something like that. And there's, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of, I think the, the go to side of that and, and how we're learning to coil the core a little bit. Um, but I think that's where everyone's getting confused is like, how do I apply this? A lot of people are starting to escape traditional training methods too. And I, I don't necessarily think that's the answer to completely yeah, yeah. abandon. It's like no more barbell, no more, you know, or it's just kind of going back. It's almost like a over glamorified uh, Florio kind of thing right yeah. now. It's like, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to now add bands to this and we're going to stand on the BOSU ball. And it's like, okay, I can see some, I guess, benefit to that, but we're still avoiding flexibility <laughs> and knowing how to be strong. I feel like those are, those are areas where I get kind of, I guess, in, even in my own head too, right? It's like, I'm looking at all this new stuff that's coming out and I'm like trying to, that's always the, the, the application is like, okay, how can this apply to what I believe in? And no, I don't necessarily believe that we should abandon all of these traditional ways to strength train and, and work on flexibility. And I think that's what comes up with the questions I get a lot too, is like, well, what do you think of this? And what they're really trying to get at is like, you know, why would I have to work on my flexibility or strength if this is being presented this way. And yeah, I think that's. Yeah. Kind of I the, think it's this, uh, 
the novelty seeking in training is like once again it's like if we look at training we know how to get people big and strong we know how to get them injury resistant using resistance training it's proven it works but then when people are throwing a lot of things out to novelty seeking on the internet it's kind of funny because like i don't know if you guys remember about 20 years ago all this rotation stuff was in fashion rotation rotation blah 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 rotation yeah. it was all like manifesting in different variations of wood chops and cable wood chops and mm-hmm. diagonal motions and stuff like this mm-hmm. useful exercise let's argue but at the same time it's come back around it went through this anti-rotation phase that you don't rotate you're trying to stop rotation and yeah. not and then you get people running like they've got like a pole up their spine yeah. where you should be having the spine as our main axis of rotation and this kind of coil happening on each step, like bend the bow, shoot the arrow, loads, springs load on one side, release, springs load on the other side, release. And that's kind of getting forgotten. And it's kind of yeah. like, if, particularly if we start looking, one of the things I find that like, if you look the way a lot of people are running nowadays with this, like, I can even remember like I had physios in circus school, like we didn't do a lot of running, but their idea of running was like the torso must be completely rigid and it's only the arms and legs moving. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but no, this uh, the, was presented as stability, whereas you want to, I don't know, run like an animal. Yeah. Well, there's there's that famous video of Ben Johnson basically critiquing Usain Bolt's running form, right? And his whole argument is that Usain Bolt has excessive rotation in his running, whereas he would like to see more of a rigid torso and more of like a linear, quote unquote, linear sort of movement. It's, it's, it's it's kind of an ironic video considering you're critiquing the fastest man on the planet, but you know, it's, it's, it's something that gets brought up a lot, very traditionally. Yeah. That, yeah. Like no rotation should occur. I mean, even certain somebody yesterday was talking about sled drives and pushing the sleds and how you want to like brace your core while you're moving forward with the sled. It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, it's, it's looking at like, someone like Usain Bolt and instead of saying like, what is he doing? Right. What is he doing different to be the fastest right. in the world? It's like, Oh, he's not doing what, what we believe is the way to, to be moving. And and then you start getting, um, who, who was it that did the spinal engine? Um, Greskowski. Gre- yeah. This guy is not even involved in exercise. The engineer, physicist and he's he's the one that's actually seeing these things like seeing the spine as the prime mover and he's the one that's making those connections so it's it's the observation of like okay what is this person doing to be moving better and faster and stronger and then it's like do we necessarily need a whole new exercise system to to apply this or do we just need to learn how to teach that pattern yeah Kind of interesting. I got a lot of this kind of interesting insights into the spinal engine from uh, a guy called Steve Morris. I suggest everyone check him out. He's a bit nuts. I'm going to warn everyone now. He's a fight coach who's been hit in the head a few too many times. But he's fucking genius when it comes to fight stuff. And a lot of his stuff is repurposing the spinal engine to send power to the limbs to deliver the strikes. And MMA and how you can get this kind of reciprocating gait, so repurposing the gait cycle into punching and cycling. A lot of his stuff is like, oh, we're trying to do cyclonic action with our punches, and we can even load them up, but then we release, load them up, release using this kind of rotation through the spine. 
mm-hmm. using all the rotation. And his way of doing it is all the movements are already in the body. So you just need to find ways of getting them out to provoke the body to give the reaction and not try to go, oh, you pull shoulder back and you pull down and then you add some wood chops in and, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. It's just, uh, I suggest people get us DVDs. They're great. They're only about 20 quid. I don't know if we can DVDs, uh, whatever, digital downloads now. They're only about 20 quid, but they're well worth watching if you're kind of into this stuff. And a lot of stuff is general power development, obviously with a martial arts bias, but it's very easy. It's very easy for me to take the concepts and put it into teaching tumbling and taking, oh, we need to twist better when I'm teaching someone to do a tumble or flip or rotating straight or something and repurpose it that way. So it's kind of, yeah, it's just kind of interesting guy as a segue and a shout out. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I yeah, think, I mean, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying it's uh, finding those movements is like, the I, for, I think a lot of people are getting confused with that. It's like finding that space and finding um, those ways to actually allow that to occur and happen. Yeah, it does come back down to flexibility, like. we're we're talking about having the capacity to move and to rotate if if you don't have the range there it's not going to happen so you know slingshotting yourself and throwing yourself this way and um whatever kind of bamboo stance on a single leg you're going to do there still has to be the range and the flexibility still has to be addressed yeah yeah Yeah, I, i think i think it's important for people to understand too um because I think before we actually get into the importance of rotation and how the system whole rotates and everything is to understand that the asymmetries that are naturally there in rotation as well. Um, Cause I don't, I don't think it's addressed enough. And I think if a lot of people understand that you sort of naturally, we're all asymmetrical, but you're going to have also asymmetrical rotation based on certain conditions that we know to be true. Right. And so for people to understand those things, I think it's important to understand like the breathing and stuff too, because what people may not know is that your diaphragms, like your whole internal organ, the whole system is, is asymmetrical, right? So your diaphragm, the right one is larger in diameter, right? It's, it's, it's thicker it has a larger tendon. Um, it has a higher dome. So, um, it's, it's basically easier to maintain the, the shape of the diaphragm on the right side. It has more fibers and fascia tie-ins to the skeleton. And the right side attaches, I think, lower on the, on the lumbar spine, like one, one to two levels lower than the left side. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, because of these, you know, you have your heart is on your left side. You have your liver is on your right side. Um, and so because of this stuff, what you normally will see in people to some degree and the, the, how the degree of it can vary based on a lot of factors, but you're going to see that the left pelvis side of your pelvis is generally going to be more anteriorly tilted, right? Which is why a lot of people experience lower left back pain is because generally that side is going the lower erector QL, that whole side is going to be generally a little bit more contracted and pulled together. Um, and because of that, the other side's more posteriorly rotated. So almost automatically, your, your pelvis rotates slightly to some degree, opposite directions, right? And so that's going to put your right side. That's why generally on your right side, you're going to see more internal rotation. You're going to see more adduction, and you're going to see more hip extension. 
and you're going to lack those things on the left side. Mm -hmm. um, now, you get an injury, you play a rotational sport, stress, all these different things can impact the severity of which those things will show up. Um, I think on your right shoulder, you're generally going to lack less internal. I, I might have it backwards, but I believe on your right, your right shoulder is generally you're going to show less internal rotation. And then on your left shoulder, you're going to show more internal rotation and the opposite for external rotation. And so if you can come into the picture, understanding that you're going to have asymmetrical rotational, you know, signs showing up in your body anyway, whatever you want to call it, then you have a good foundation of why you may feel things on certain sides that you don't feel on the other side, why certain issues could arise on one side and not on the other side, you know, why you might be twisted one way, why one hit might appear higher, why you have back pain on one side and not the other, why you have shoulder pain on one side and not the other and so on and so forth. And again, it's, it shows up in some people, it doesn't show up in other people, but just from the, the, the total anatomical base, you have to understand that the way these organs position are positioned are going to impact how your ribs and your skeleton and your pelvis is positioned, which is going to impact how the muscle tissue that sits on top of that is positioned, whether it's lengthened, whether it's shortened, whether it's rotated one way, whether it's not. So it's, it's one of the questions I frequently get and you'll always see it as like, I have more rotation on this side than I do on this side and more of this rotation on this side than I do on this side and, and so on and so forth. And um, you know, it's why people generally get like upper trap tightness on the right side and not their left because because of you know there's just like there's a natural pattern that tends to occur so i think that for for many people who may understand this it's probably just a refresher but a lot of people don't understand yeah. this and when you tell them this they go oh i never really thought about that and it's like well <laughs> that's why breathing yeah. and, and then and then creating stability through breathing and bracing is is important if you want to be successful in flexibility and if you want to be successful in strength training this is why we want bilateral exercises, but also unilateral exercises to make sure that, you know, your right side of your body is heavier. A lot of people are right-handed, you know, so you drive one side of the car yeah. and so on and so forth. But, you know, I don't want to rant too much about it, but just so people understand it is normal. Yeah. It's perfectly normal to, to, to have these imbalances, in, especially in rotation, which we'll talk about soon, which will impact more sagittal and linear planes of motion. Uh, than you might realize. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where people get really yeah. obsessed. Get obsessed with those imbalances. Yeah. Yeah. It's too obsessed, you know. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Like, even at the functions of the brain as well, like, we have a lateralization of the brain functions in this regard, yeah. which also crosses out into the way the hands operate, which is quite interesting that we have the sword and shield hypothesis that hypothesis that has a decent bit of backing but you're generally your left hand will be the hand that explores the environment and keeps away your right hand will be the one that brings towards so mm -hmm. and it's more precise so you'd be like oh so if we think about like our classic kind of thing one hand keeps things away one hand is that probes the environment gets a gross picture of it the other hand is precise so you can see this in some of the animals you see like have one big left claw that's the shield and then the right side the sword what it's this idea of like, oh, if the right hand has to be, uh, how describe it? Has to be more precise. It will generally have more mobility and more freedom, and more bit of everything, more range of motion generally, and more lower tension and stuff like this. Whereas the left hand is like, say, if you look at say field sports, even where it involved contact, you'll see people. Most people will hand off with their left hand. They'll run in, block in. 
So you see these kind of functions developing as a side product of this, and then it emanates into the skeletal structure as well. So it's kind of, yeah, I think that asymmetry is kind of interesting as well. Mm-hmm. It's like ask someone to throw a ball as far away from them as they can with both hands and look what happens. Like, is it the same? Probably not. Why yeah. is when your foot placement goes, like what happens to the hips to generate the power through the spine, through the hand, the ground contact? You go, oh, that's why we need to rotate. That's why one of them will internally rotate more because when I throw, my left foot is planted forward, contralateral power. That leg needs to internally rotate more to allow the power to come. Whereas mm-hmm. the right leg is probably on the posterior side of the chain. Yeah. So how are we going to define rotation for people that are getting confused? Uh, <laughs> I think this is uh, one of the other things I want to kind of get into and when we get into a bit more flexibility rather than general body rotation is the idea of like, yeah, all joint movements is a rotational movement. Yeah, there seems to be this kind of bias where it's like, oh, you know, if I look at my joint and if I track it, if I put a, say, if I put a mark on it, you move anything. You do a bench press and look at the upper humerus; it moves through an arc. Everything yeah. moves in arcs. This kind of thing. Everyone thinks it's kind of like, I don't know, there's a bit of a linearity bias because it's very easy to understand. Rotation's easy enough to understand as well. So it's like, oh, you have to do joint rotations, which we're going to talk on as well. I hope. Uh, but then it's like, well, actually. My push-up is a form of rotation. It's not a complete rotation of the shoulder, but it is an arc rotation. And it's one of those things where like, people get confused. Like, oh, we have all these, like, I suppose we go into the shoulders. It's the easiest ones. People are like, oh, you must train internal and external rotation. Their rotation movements. Well, like, flexion and extension of the shoulder is a rotation. My yeah. arm is describing a circle. So it's like, well, we have this. Same with a hip hinge. I hinge forward. Oh, at a very base level, I'm making what a quarter circle if I was just doing a normal hip hinge to 90 degrees. So there is this kind of thing of like everything in the body is a rotation and there's generally more than one rotation happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think Jeff's kind of touched on this a lot lately with hip hinge, the hinging flexion coupled with internal rotation of the hip. Yep. I think that's yeah. going to... So then it's like, oh, when we're doing movements, and I don't know Jeff's... Uh, Bring this one up when we're talking about like say squatting uh, we have essentially a hip hinge and a knee hinge happening at the same time ankles whatever but at the same time what else is happening at the femurs and is that bias where we see the the frog squat or right. ease out which can work for some people's hips everyone's hips are a bit different yeah yep. but at the same time it's like well do we want to force it to happen or do we want to let the body do what is natural to it within constraints yeah, the squat's an interesting movement because it's a bit of both, right? Like the, you know, the eccentric is going to be more of your hinge flexion, internal rotation, and the opposite's going to occur on the on the concentric where you're going to get drive more external rotation extension. Um, so it's kind of a unique movement in that way of that it's a bit of both of those characters. But yeah, I think it's definitely important for people to understand there's some, the relationship of, like you said, you know, internal rotation, flexion, um, you know, external rotation, extension, um, and those are kind of linked, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not even kind of linked. They are. Like what? Main movement trip. Flexion, internal rotation, uh, subpronation, 
and supination, external rotation, and extension yep. are all tripleted together. And yeah. It kind of goes back to what I was saying with the anatomy of the body. If you look at the spirals in the body, it begins to make a lot of sense why the body would want to move that way, yeah. and why when I'm pulling into one thing and then I want to expand the other direction, some things compress because they're contracting together. The other ones are pulled under a mild stretch, which will help them expand. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the big patterns. And then separating them out into our unilateral components is what actually gives us a lot of our movement driving. If you think of our primitive reflexes, even the archer reflex, which appears in basically every single sport, uh, we have our archer reflex. Boom. This is basically everything. People can look that up. It comes up in babies, but then it also, I don't know, think javelin throwing, punching someone. Running yeah. in the first degree. So these kind of rotations are inherent in the body. Mm-hmm. And when we're moving, it's always what like it's that kind of thing, like why do we want to cue one thing one way when it's counter to the natural motion of the body? Right. Do you have a good reason other than someone else just told you to do that? Yeah. And and generally that that cueing is a compensation for a for a quality that doesn't really exist. Right, you have to cue that direction because it's not a, actually there. So you have to almost superficially make it happen. Um, I think that's a good thing to address first, is because that's because of the conversations that I've I've brought up about the squat. So many people get confused, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, and the first question I'll get is, how do I create internal rotation in a squat? What do I have to think about? And I'm like, that's kind of problem number one. Yeah. Right. It is is it's the problem that those that have it's the problem that those that have said the opposite have created as well is that it's not something you should really think about. Yeah. Right. The movement itself is going to have at certain points in phases during the movement where you're going to need one or the other or more of one and the other or not one and, and only the other or whatever. So basically what I just t- try to tell people is obviously the closer the stance, the more forward the foot placement the more you're going to need internal rotation just naturally. What people don't understand is they don't understand how the, the relationship of the, of the piriformis changes as you, as the hips flex, right? So above 90 degrees parallel, the piriformis is an external rotator. You're going to be in more external rotation at extension. And then as you flex and go into, you know, go into flexion, the piriformis changes from an external rotator to an internal rotator. So it's not that you have to necessarily think about anything to make it occur. You just have to understand that the relationship of your foot placement and your toe out and your stance width and all these different things and your depth is also going to play a role um, are going to have on how much that you just, you need to be there. Um, and you don't necessarily want to bias one over the other. You want the co-contraction of stability and external rotation and stability and internal rotation to keep stability in the joint as you complete the movement. And if you start to bias one over the other, that itself can create imbalances. I mean, it's like how many people have low back issues from constantly pushing their knees out and knee issues and, and hip issues because they've constantly biased external rotation and they try to squat all the way down. And it's like, you're literally trying to do the opposite of what your body actually naturally has to do to execute the movement. It doesn't always create problems for people. That would be just a false statement to say that everyone who squats that way has issues. All I can say is that everyone that I have had issues come to me with their squat, whether it's knee pain, hip pain, 
back pain, whatever they can't, they don't have internal rotation passively, which means they're not going to have it dynamically. So that is the first correction I try to make. And then once it's there, you just squat. You don't have to necessarily like think about doing anything to make sure that you use it. It's, it's just there. Right. right? So, you know, you do see some people teach, like I think Bob Takano or something used to teach actually pulling the knees in, in the bottom of a squat for some weightlifters, which it's totally specific context to that sport. It's not something that I necessarily recommend. And it's not something that people will generally train. Um, but to clear that up, because it is a question I get a lot is now I got people thinking about how to internally rotate when you squat. It's, you don't have to think about it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. The knee drop on the inside of the squat. It's obviously like everyone's like, Oh, particularly at the bottom when the knees pulls yeah. aggressively. It's one of the things, if you look at the function of the short adductors, going back to a lot of yeah. the muscles change function as the hip crosses 90 degrees. Yeah. If you kind of, I suppose there's some of those anatomy models online, but even if you can just visualize it mentally, fiber direction, oh, hip flexes, oh, what would be driving extension now drives flexion and vice yeah. versa. So then we have the short adductors will pulse, pectineus and adductor brevis, They'll pulse at the bottom squat. And you see it a lot with like an interesting one from the Chinese weightlifting. I got that great book by Ma Strength. Mm, yeah. Got, yeah. So that was a fantastic book on a Chinese weightlifting technique. One of their points on the thing was like, if that's the natural tendency for the squatter, all they say with their squatters is like, don't let the knees touch. Yeah. But other than that, just squat what happens. And if the knees come in, it's them shifting into a more efficient pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it's interesting. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head lifter wise, but if you look at some of these lifters is they, they'll go down, they'll be in a kind of splayed stance. And then on the way up, the knees drive in that drives the hip, that drives the initial pulse of the hip extension. Yep. And then they're kind of, the knees are almost pointing forward when they finish the lift as the hip comes up past 90 degrees, the knees drive it goes back, back out. Yeah. So yeah. That kind of recoiling action. Yep. Yeah. It's that coiling action, the efficiency of the movement. And obviously there's like, Chinese weightlifters are selected for their muscle and bone length and everything. Yeah, they are. But at the end of the day, it's like, ooh, there's something here. And it's one of those things like, that's when I started like really cranking the poundages on squats was when I was just sitting down and standing up and not trying to do anything with my legs other than what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about that a lot, like relaxing the quads. It's, I find that's such a great cue because you, you take away all that stress and like your legs. <laughs> let let the legs just do their job and stop putting so much emphasis on how tight your legs need to be and think more about that pelvic stability uh, and letting, letting everything rotate the way it's supposed to rotate. Um, I think that's where the confusion on rotation is coming now too, right? Cause now everyone's looking at these, I guess, bilateral movements as well and, and thinking about like, what do you mean rotation is like what you see versus what's happening. And everyone's like, well, I don't understand. This is a squat. It's not a rotation. <laughs> They're thinking yeah. The twisting and the throwing. Yeah. And I, I would, yeah, this, these concepts apply with squatting. They apply with hinging. Um, how are we creating a scenario where we are going to be able to create those compressive forces and those expanding forces in such a way with those movements where we can produce the best strength, produce the best range and the best function of the pelvis and the hips and the way they're supposed to work. Like people don't make those connections. They just perform movements. Right. Yeah. I think that's gonna, yeah, basically 
this is kind of what Jeff kind of touched on there was what we're doing with a lot of our rotational flexibility development training is giving resources to the organism to then draw on in training that's more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is what we're doing. We're like, oh, we want internal rotation, but we don't talk about it per se, but it happens. Or we want external rotation, but it doesn't happen per se unless we're trying to do something. So it's that idea of like, oh, that's one of these things I'm always thinking about in training is like there's there's two sides to this to talk a bit more generally about flexibility training. One is the first side is developing quality we're looking for in an isolated capacity so oh say for the stuff i bias obviously it's say handstands and these kind of flexibility development so it's like oh someone can do a split on the floor but then when does that split start to manifest in their training and how can we make that happen and that's one of the things like oh we can do it on the floor but they can't do it on a handstand okay maybe we need specific exercises to bridge the gap or we need to educate yeah. them how to do it mm-hmm. but we if they were if they couldn't do a split on the floor and we're in a handstand and go Pull your legs apart as far as you can. They don't have the resource available to them to draw upon. And it's that same thing where like Jeff's like, oh, I have people who have back pain and knee pain and everything. And I, I give them internal rotation or we work and develop that in an isolated capacity. And then when we go back to our grosser, bigger compound movements or strength training or whatever, more complicated training, then the organism can draw on it and hopefully at the right time by not over-biasing one thing. It's like, oh, gosh. yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that's the interesting, that's the, so that's what we do with flexibility training is we give, we give choices to the body, mm-hmm. choices yeah. and resources. Yeah. 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 I mean, which those options can have so many benefits, right? Because like a lot of people think of movement in the opposite capacity of how it actually works, right? Like it used to be thought that the brain almost sort of works like as a computer program. Right. So when you squat down, say you do 10,000 reps of squat, a, a lot of the ways that it was viewed before is, you know, you, you formulate 10,000 reps to equate to the perfect rep for a squat. Yeah. Where if we look at research and like quite old research, like we're talking like Cold War era, Russian, early Soviet stuff, what was found out a long time ago is actually quite the opposite happens. So someone who squats 10,000 times, given the, the mobility and the flexibility and the spaces there in the joints, you actually learn 10,000 different ways to squat. Now on the most superficial level, it might look the same or might look very similar, but the joint rotation capacity, you know, what lines of tissue are stressed, all these things can change from rep to rep. Yeah. And, and that's kind of one of the interesting things about even EMG studies is that, EMG studies do give us insight into certain things, but they don't always paint the the right picture because, you know, they've done studies with golfers, for instance, trying, they've tried because they've tried to isolate, you know, what muscle groups are the most active. So, because what are these guys trying to do? They're trying to isolate it in training. Right. And of course you're going to expect like the oblique is going to be more active here and then this and then that. And then the more they studied into it, they actually found it's quite the opposite. Like every single swing, the, 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 the muscles fire in a completely different pattern. There's, there's never, a, it never happens the same way. You know, maybe on this swing, your oblique fires, then your lat fires, then your glute fires, then your calf fires. And on the next one, your adductor fire, you know what I mean? Like it changes literally every single time. And so flexibility literally gives your body more options to do 
things more efficiently and in a more coordinated effort without stressing the same organism over and over and over and over and over. And I, and for me, whether there's science there to back it up just completely and anecdotally, I contribute flexibility to a hundred percent of the reason why I've been able to be so healthy for the past seven or eight years doing a, you know, right now I'm squatting every day. A lot of people can't do that. It's just because I just have so many more options than other people within the smallest minute, like fraction of a, of a mood, like something that you're not even gonna be able to see with your eye, but that makes a difference in a lot of different things. And so, you know, the ones that you see getting hurt frequently are the ones that don't have options, right? It's yeah. always the common denominator. It's you don't have this option in this joint. Therefore, if you do not stay within this completely controlled context at any given point, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Just that's just the way it works. It's just the way it works. There's no denying that. You know what I mean? The, so the hardest part is applying the stability, but yeah. it's that all of the other pro the process that's happening without flexibility is we're just applying stability without the degrees of freedom and the, the beauty in all strength and what makes it a skill is that you're actually applying stability to degrees of freedom. And that's where, um, yeah, that like being able to do high frequency things, like even Emmett, like handstand, like Jeff and I actually talk a lot about how the high frequency squatting to us feels quite similarly to when we were hired into handstands. <laughs> it's like, we're yeah. squatting every day. We're talking about what we learned in the session, what we experimented with, what we felt. And the hardest part of every session is the application of stability to the degrees of freedom, which I do relate quite strongly to my experiences with hand balancing. When I was doing a lot of hand balancing, yeah. it's like, yeah. okay, I, I need more degrees of freedom to have stability in my handstand. But then even when I get it, it's like, that's kind of where we need to go. And that's where people need to make that connection is like, we need to, to gain those degrees of freedom so that we then can apply the stability to it, not the opposite. Everyone's trying to apply stability all the time, stability, stability. It's like you, you don't have any movement. <laughs> yeah. A lot of adults need to be doing quite the opposite. Yeah. Kids, it's kids. It's a different story. Kids, you often have to teach stability. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they tend to be uncoordinated because they have so many options to do a, a certain task. Yeah. Adults, it's usually quite the opposite. It's you have zero options. And we need to give you more options to do whatever it is. And I think that's where, you know, just since you talked about handstand, that's the difference almost between teaching kids handstands and why maybe body line drills and stuff for those people may be way more important kids, because it's like, they're going to contort into all sorts of crazy shapes. Whereas an adult, it's like, you're, you're stuck. Like you're, you're not <laughs> going anywhere. This is, <laughs> this is all you have. So is it more of a, you know, is it necessary to just keep hammering away a hollow body? Maybe in certain instances, but really it's just because your shoulders don't have any movement, your hips don't, you know what I mean? So it's, it's when you're working with kids and adults, it's quite the opposite picture, but it's also why something we've all probably experienced that a lot of flexibility coaches who try to coach adults are not often successful. And it's because they, their background is, obtaining and training flexibility from the level of which they were a kid. And mm -hmm. so then they try to apply, apply those same concepts to adults and it, it doesn't translate as well because, because of the exact reasons that I just listed. Right. 
Um, yeah. I mean, how many people have we seen that are probably more flexible than us, but can't teach flexibility for shit? It's like, yeah. because, you know, you developed this as a kid and there are certain methods that it took then that's very different than training an adult or whatever. Yeah. So, or, they, or they can't teach strength. Or they can't teach strength. Exactly. They don't understand those stability components. How, yep. how do you actually be strong? Like, I don't know, quite yeah. understand. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of the failure of, fa- of well, of a lot of adult gymnastics programs. I'm quite convinced that like you could take people in at age 16, and obviously you need the right the right body, but get them up to world game level, you know, level of gymnastics. I'm quite convinced if you pick the right person, you could, but you couldn't use the pedagogy you would use from a normal gymnast where they start at age four to six and work their way up, and then by 16 they're selected. Mm-hmm. I think, like, particularly saying rings, rings obviously because it's a bit more straightforward than the other skills. But in a lot of it, I do, I do strongly believe this. And you see this with people who take up tricking, age fifteen, sixteen. They're trying the craziest tricks, going some crazy flips, triple butterflies, all this kind of crazy shit. Where it's like it's an equivalent level of quite high level gymnastic skills. Obviously, they're working a lot, but they have a kind of pedagogy that's it's a bit rough and ready. But it relies, it's basically built on people who get, took up tricking going like age 14, 15, 16, 18, 20. And, oh my God, that looks awesome. I want to learn it. And people kind of bashed it out among themselves. Whereas mm. how you train kids in a gymnastics class is a very different pedagogy. You see this in adult gymnastics classes where people want to just take it up at a hobby level when they're age 30 or 40. And then they go to class, they're getting taught a kid's class in gymnastics basically. And it doesn't really work. Like it's fun, but it's like it's not it's not what these people need. They have a completely different resource pool to draw upon. So mm-hmm. you can't impose the demands you're imposing they already have and vice versa. So uh yeah. Interesting shit. I'd like to uh, actually just talk about like joint rotations as they're built. You guys want to go down that route for a bit? Because it's kinda there's I don't know. There's many ways to do a joint rotation. This is uh, one of the things I find, I find them really interesting. One of the bigger parts of the training we do where for me with joint rotations, we, there's obviously a say, say FRC, which has popularized the completely rigid maximum tension body rotations where they're like, Oh, everything has to be locked rigid. And then you're trying to free the joint up. And that's pretty good. If you are unable to move a joint, if you're just like, if you have a very bad, you have a very bad sensation base for this joint. But at the same time, you're educating the body then to rotate with maximum tension around. Whereas the style I favor, which is slightly slower to give effects, but if you do it long enough, is the loose rotations where we're rotating the joint. We're slowly trying to expand the joint and the degree of rotation we can do. But we're doing it in a very relaxed manner. But we're also doing it with focus on the sensation base to experience it because you're not... You have your mental experience and your mental descriptions of these states. We want to actually just give the body the pure description because, like, say I'm sitting in a chair all day. I don't move my joints. Oh, I do a rotation. I rotate around gently. Then slowly I'm expanding where the body thinks is its normal centration point and actually giving it, like, oh, actually, you can go here and go there. The other kind of benefit is you're slowly getting the body used to moving bigger. I'm making, ascribing bigger circles, but at the same time, you're doing it efficiently. So you're just letting it kind of happen. And this is kind of, you know, the joint rotations, like done with this kind of manner is the thing where I've had so many people over the years, like all the stuff I teach, 
but amount of people have gone like, oh, I move better now. Uh, I feel looser. I can move so fluidly. My dancing's gotten better. My neck pain has gone. All this kind of stuff, just from this kind of gentle style of rotation. I think it's very, it's underutilized because it looks so simple. Yeah. But it's kind of challenge anyone to do it. I have a YouTube video on joint rotations. 10 videos, about 15 minutes. Takes a bit less. Takes about eight minutes to do it a day. Add it in and see what happens. Do it before training. Rotate all the joints to follow along. You can find you can do your own once you understand the rules. But then go in and uh, do your training afterwards and see how you feel. See what resources are available to the body because you just kind of. I always think of it like hitting the F five button or refreshing the body and go. These are all the things you can do now. Let's go and do something else and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. It's that overcomplication of things. Um, and also that people don't have the attention span to just stare at a spot on the wall <laughs> for more than a minute. Right. It's, uh, yeah. and that's often why the stretch itself is so good. You don't, okay, man, you don't even have to experience anything for the first minute or so besides just being here and understanding that you're in a stretch position, even though you don't necessarily feel it. Like to what yeah. degree do you feel it and, and learning how to feel something pick up over time. Like that's so important, right? Like with the joint rotations, it's like start small, let it expand and feel it pick up over time. It's the same thing in a stretch. We don't need to go to our max stretch position to feel the stretch, feel it pick up over time. So it's like constantly on, on my side, it's like, constantly uh coming up with strategies for people to understand that it's like yeah there's contractions and relax components in the stretch that need to occur to make change but just be here <laughs> know how to be here for a little bit yeah. i understand what's happening like that you're actually this is a stretched position we're in a stretched position like just because we don't feel it like our leg is getting raised to its maximal range right and i think that in itself, as boring as it sounds, is so much more powerful than doing something, you know, to you know, to the higher degree. It all leads to something greater, and we all need those things to aspire to want to do. But um, I've been doing the uh, the the seat, the grounded posterior positions uh, more so in my morning routine lately. Just be like getting into some of the go to stuff and the muscles and meridians concepts and just these, like I stopped doing it, but now it's just like bringing that back into my practice or just my morning routine, like sit on the floor and chill out, <laughs> like sit in this position. It's a stretch position. It's easily accessible, but be here, breathe a little bit, let the body actually settle before you go attack a barbell or you go, you know, jump on your hands or whatever. And it's like that, those concepts are really lost like everyone wants to know what they need to do when they're working out. It's like, yeah, but you can just go spend some time in this resting position for a little bit, let your body settle and then bring it back to your practice. Think, think about what's happening in your body when it's actually just chilling out. <laughs> you know? That's good. Think, uh, yeah. There's an interesting one there. I think it's just to relate this to what people might be familiar with is we're looking for cumulative gains and increase in function that happens over time yep. and if you think just in the acute phase of a workout if you think about like what we're doing in our normal strength training we're, we're 
we're performing this cumulative increase, we're ramping the nervous system up. Uh, we don't go in and squat, you know, our max straight away. Obviously, depending on your level, you'll squat heavier or lesser. Right. But your workout, you're always trying to, well, the way I think about it is you're always trying to work towards a crescendo in your exercises. And this kind of, you get it in this because like, oh, I'm doing a set in the last 40 seconds. Then I'll do another set and it's better, it's smoother. Oh, and I go heavier. The capacity of the organism increasing. It's the same in what we're doing in this. Oh, we're just going to do repetition upon repetition and let the body find the expansion. Oh, it's a stretch. We're just going to sit in the stretch and see what happens. And we're not, that's the cumulative increase. Yeah. 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 It's the, I've been using the, the, the seated floor postures a lot too. Um, Especially with the high frequency of, of, of squatting, the, the Seiza position helps a lot. Just open up the front of the ankles, open up the, the knees and the hips, you know, nice tall. Yeah. Cause you're generally going to like in a Seiza, you're going to sit nice and tall, decompressed spine sort of position. So I've been using it a lot as, I mean, right now I'm sitting on the ground. I'm <clears throat> not sitting in a chair. It's not to say I don't ever sit in a chair, but I have been finding myself exploring it more when I can, right. When I'm working, when I'm answering messages, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I still sit in the car to drive and I still sit at the table to eat dinner with my family or whatever, but I'm not like, you know, it's, I'm not, I, I don't take it to the extreme. Some people do where it's like, they get rid of all their furniture. <laughs> it's like, that's all they do, but you know, sleep on the floor now. And I'm like, this is hey, it's like, rotation, right? Rotation <laughs> to the extreme. It's like, yeah, like, let's yeah. pull this back. Like it's all rotation. Well, it's even when people look at strength training programs and they look at, planes of pushing and pressing which is popular right like why do we push and and press in in different planes of motion and why is that important and it's more important from a rotational standpoint than it is anything else it's like obviously the more you go overhead the more shoulder flexion you know the the varying degrees of internal and external rotation you train versus in a dip versus in a bench press for you know in a pull-up versus a row like you're you're getting different aspects of rotation through specifically in this context, like the shoulder joint. Right. So, um, and that's not something people really think about. And it's like, it's, it's something that you see a lot. Whereas people make an argument for powerlifters, like, should you press overhead? Does it improve your bench? It's like, well, I guess technically it depends on how you look at it. I think that there's a lot of evidence that suggests that global strength is a real thing, right? So any sort of pressing is going to strengthen any sort of pressing. But if we're looking at it from a joint health perspective, the more you press in one range and not in any other range, you're just losing that rotational aspect of the shoulder. Therefore, as a byproduct, you're going to lose any sort of generally will lose any sort of linear motion in, in other directions of the shoulder. And those have a massive impact on each other. Right. Because like, as we talked about earlier, you know, into certain positions of the shoulder, you need more external here and more internal here or whatever. So, you know, even within strength training programs, that is one of the benefits, particularly for the upper body, because the shoulder joint is way more mobile, obviously, is training so many different planes. And it's just because that's what you need to do to keep your shoulders healthy. And it's like, yeah. you see people that are like, oh, well, you know, um, you don't need to train Cuban rotations all the time to keep a healthy rotator cuff. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, of course I agree as long as you're keeping some variability in there in the planes of motion that you're training, you're going to, your rotator cuff is going to be taken through its range of motion in so many different ways. 
Yeah. But at the same time, like I've also seen people come in and then they can't do rotation of their shoulder with five pounds yet they're bench pressing. It's like, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's going to be a problem. You know what I mean? Does it mean you need to master a certain percentage of Cuban rotations to do X, Y, or Z? Uh, not necessarily. That would be a very bold correlation to make, but under just understand that, that that rotation or lack thereof will impact, yeah. you know, the more sagittal planes that we look at and that they're intimately like together that you can't separate them from one another. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think it's once again, like goes back to this. Oh, why do we train the, in, the internal and external rotation strength? Give more resources to the organism to draw upon when you're doing your other motions. Yep. Yeah. Very simple. It's kind of interesting one actually to go back to dip, push up, overhead press combinations. If we think about training, if we want to train full range of motion in the shoulder, a bench press is not a full range of motion exercise. A push up is not a full range of motion exercise. A handstand push up isn't a full range, but a combination of them will have them all in your program. If we think yeah. dip, we go from the arms hanging by the side to humerus into extension and back. Oh, a push up, we go from the hands, you know, level with the shoulders, clavicle, and the humerus slightly behind the torso. Oh, then <laughs> oh, we get an overlap there and we get them trained. Oh, next one we do overhead press and the humerus going from full shoulder flexion down to uh, it could be argued that it's more full range than anything else but it's still missing the extension component so it's that idea of having all these kind of things and what i always call it is fractionating the repetition range that we can basically fractional distillation is the concept i have here is that we can isolate fractions of the rep range we want but if we have we want a complete product we need to put them back together so Mm -hmm. we need to look over the the training block the both short block full the full sort of training mesocycles yeah. and the whole sort of inter year cycle we need to actually focus on these ranges and bring them up in a kind of synergistic manner mm-hmm. and that means we've trained basically a large part of the arc of the shoulder without getting yeah without neglecting anything it can be one of those things like you'll see it you know everyone knows it the guy who only bench presses and then has shoulder problems oh the guy who only does dips and has shoulder problems Oh, but if you find people who like train a bit of everything, generally it's like they might have shoulder problems, but not as common in my experience. Mm-hmm. I'd love to do a study on that, actually. There's a great idea for a study. Compare shoulder problem incidences for people who overhead press dip and bench press or push up. would be interesting. Versus bench and incline bench. Like you only can do one of those for X amount of weeks. And, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Set it up. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The master's thesis in there for someone. There you go. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's cool too because when you get exposure to the gymnastics stuff, right? You there are actually more upper body movements that kind of tend to cross sort of multiple planes yeah. of pushing and pulling, whereas like in a traditional weight room, you're not going to see that as often. So, you know, like even even extension bicep work in gymnastics, if you do true gymnastics works with back lever um and then of course if you have if you do any sort of like the pelican style reverse muscle ups and stuff like that you get a lot of the bicep and shoulder and extension obviously l-sit mana work more you get into that you get more into shoulder extension whereas in weightlifting you don't really get that you know as much so you have to implement certain if you want that shoulder extension 
either introduce maybe some of the exercises from gymnastics into it or train your biceps in extension, which is why one of the reasons that Poliquin loved incline curls so much was because it's, it's the one shoulder position that you very rarely train uh, at all. If you're lifting weights is, is being in shoulder extension and bicep gets really short, obviously, if you're not getting into good shoulder extension. Um, So different sports even have their, and, and different, you know, skills have their own set of variables of how you can train that. You know, if you think of like the 90 degree press, you're getting an overhead, you're getting a handstand push-up and like a plant push-up or just that regular horizontal pushing pattern basically in the same movement. Yeah. Whereas you're not really going to get that with a barbell. You know what I mean? So it yeah. just kind of depends on your training style. This push-up is just like, it's just fucking difficult. And it's a very elite end feat if you can pull them off in this kind of yeah. thing. So it's like, everyone goes, oh yeah, it's multi-planner pushing movement. Yes, it is. I fully agree. But... They're fucking hard, and they're hard to yeah. get these volume on. Like, it's not like you're gonna be repping them out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I need like to do this rare, because like, it hits all. Unless you're, unless yeah. you're six. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like even like right training, like getting people up to five repetitions is like, it's an achievement. It's one of the achievements I have. Like doing three to five repetitions of that, is an achievement. And yeah. you might even get a thumbs up from me on when you send it to me. <laughs> I mean, even handstand push-ups. Yeah, it's the same thing with Nordics. People ask me like. Why do you have such a thing with Nordics? It's just because like, if you think of it just from a logical standpoint, it's, it's for 99% of people, maybe more than that, but I'll be conservative. It's, it's, it's not that I hate Nordics. It's that the circumstance of a Nordic, if done properly, it's going to be a high intensity, low volume, low frequency exercise. There's, you're like, literally, there's only so much you're going to be able to do with it. So if you want to get more volume and more time and attention, there's just going to be a lot majority of the time for majority of people, there's going to be a lot better options than just yeah. trying to force a North, you know, and it's, you know, without getting too much, it's even why you don't see it extensively in track programs, especially during season. It's like, yeah. because it's so high intensity, you're literally going to fatigue the living hell out of your hamstrings. And then you're going to go sprint. That's probably not the smartest idea to do in season. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if you're sprinting, it's high centric and concentric hamstring involvement. It's just fatiguing that muscle group prematurely is not going to be a good idea. And it's why the study on Nordics in, in, in glute bridges was so controversial is because, well, glute bridges are like primarily a, a, a glute eccentric and concentric exercise, which yeah. one would argue that there's going to be some sort of facilitation of end range hip extension, which could have a lot of carryover into sprinting. You know, if you if you want to use that movement in particular over the Nordic, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's just how many glute bridges can you do compared to how many reps of like Nordic can you do? And most people can't even do true full Nordics. They can only do eccentric. So you're literally doing only eccentric strength training. And we all know if you're like a good coach, like how long can you carry on just eccentric strength training? A phase, maybe. Otherwise, you know, otherwise you're going to risk injury or just like overtraining because yeah. of the because of the like you can put a bar on your back and you can lower down a lot more weight in a squat than you're going to be able to stand up with. Yeah. So it's, you're just going to overload the system. So it's a form of overload. So training something like that all the time is going to have a massive impact. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Kinda, we we kind of got away from rotation there, but well, the, well, yeah. we're talking about, we're talking about rotating exercises now. That's what we're talking about. Well, the, the thought of <laughs> rotation here, isn't it? <laughs> the, the thought of just doing an exercise. Cause you think you need to do an exercise, right? It's like, yeah, hollow back press is 
multi uh, multi plan your exercise. Like I need to do it because right. it, it's all. It's like no, you don't. You just need to cover the basis of those movement yeah. patterns. Yeah. Uh, the Nordic, right? Like it's flashy. Um, I need to do it. It's like, but why do you need to do it? What's it? T- what's it leading to? When? Okay, if you're going to do it, when are you going to do it? And yeah. how should we actually get you to that point when you can do it really well and, and do it when you should be doing it, if you need to be doing it at all? Um, yes. Yeah, it's one of those things with rotation too, right? Everyone's doing rotation exercises just because they think they exactly. need to be doing rotation exercises. But we're talking about shoulder flexion has a component of rotation. Shoulder extension has a component, you know, yeah. so it's, uh, that's, I think, the confusing. Everyone's getting confused because everyone's doing rotation exercises right now and they don't necessarily know why. They don't even know it. <laughs> yeah like, why am i doing this like what does it take me to it's like an abundance of of movement for sure i mean that at the end of the day if you are going to do any exercise do some you know improve your rotation for that capacity of just having more freedom of movement in all of these other uh exercises that you want to do but- yeah i think i think that's where people get carried away with the like the rotations even like emmett said in the beginning you know I hate to say it, but FRC in particular, it's like, okay, good. You have external rotation. Now, if you want to just do the FRC system to overload that, yeah, you might need to create massive amounts of tension. You might need to hold a dumbbell. You might need to squeeze a tennis ball or whatever. But if you're doing, if your goal is gymnastic strength training, you should implement patterns that are going to include that rotation in it. If you're doing weightlifting, you should just include exercises that are going to include that rotation in it. And if you're doing it properly, those qualities that you created and made sure exist are going to carry over into the lift. But if you don't have external rotation and you try to press overhead, which a lot of people don't, you're going to arch your back to make up for the, the, you know, the angle that you're lacking in your shoulders. So you're going to lean back more to press overhead or whatever. So it's just like, like people do get so carried away with it. It's like, it's a lot of these sagittal quote unquote, sagittal plane movements, all of them actually, there is some degree of rotation occurring in a squat. The, the foot rotates, the tibia rotates, you know, which means in your femur rotates, which means your knee rotates and your hip rotates. Now, hopefully everything from the hip up shouldn't have too much rotation, particularly in the squat, but just th- know that everything below the waist, there's as much rotation occurring as there is needed. Mm-hmm. Again, depending on those different things, foot, foot width, toe placement, et cetera, et cetera, depth um, that, if you're doing that thing, you're covering your bases, right? It's you're, you're getting all of that in one. So that's where the art of coaching comes in is, is fine tuning what's not there, what needs to be there to do what you need to do. And then from there, how do we simplify it down, not make it more difficult. And now we just keep adding and adding and adding. And that's where a lot of people get anxiety from their strength training programs, right? Because it's like, okay, I did all this base of rotation work you know, maybe in a, in a general prep prehab rehab phase, right? How do I keep that in? Right? Like, I don't want to lose it. How do I keep it in? That's always the fear. It's the same thing with flexibility. I've worked so hard on this. I'm afraid that if I don't keep stretching here, I'm, I'm going to lose it or whatever. And it's, well, that's the art. That's the, how, what do we now implement to simplify this, to make sure that you're still covering that without having to specifically isolate that from here to the end of time. Yeah. And then every once in a while, we check back in on it just to make sure that it is still there because compensations occur, fatigue occurs, stress occurs, all these things occur. 
outside of the training that can definitely impact the structure in the organism. So we just need to check back in on it and make sure it's there. And if it's there, great, we continue doing what we're doing. If we find that we've regressed a little bit there, awesome. Then we add a little bit more work back in to make sure that, you know, it's there and, and so on and so forth. But I think it's yeah. a really good thing for people to understand too, because a lot of people get like this training. They find that the more they train with me, the simpler it gets. Yeah. And not, and not simpler from just, a, I want to be fucking lazy and just make everything simpler and easier. It's because I know that if you're covering X, Y, and Z, you're getting all these different capacities that we need without adding progression on top of progression and variation on top of variation for really just no reason other than to just have it there to make it look cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's like the guy who can't squat down all the way is going to need more leg variation in his program than a guy who has a full depth squat for the simple fact that there's going to be different ranges. He's not able to access, you know, that's why you generally see bodybuilders who they need eight different leg variations to get the quads they want to target all the muscle fibers that they want to develop good hypertrophy. Whereas a weightlifter very rarely has any, you know, they do include other variations from time to time, but the bulk of their training is full depth squatting and they have massively developed legs. And it's just because they have access to a range and because of that axis of range comes the spectrum of different qualities that you're going to get again through rotation, flexion, extension, et cetera. So it's a really interesting conversation, but it's one that I come into. And I don't know if you guys experience it. Sometimes I go like, well, I'm used to so much more volume. And you're like, what do you mean volume? And it's like, well, my leg day, it's usually like eight exercises, whereas they do my leg day and it's like three. And it's, and then you just, you, you kind of try to break it down for them because they get a little bit of that that fear missing out, like they're not doing enough, but then they don't really realize the underlying principles of why that's not necessarily always the best case scenario for people. Yeah. yeah. Definitely you touched on something very important. The art of coaching is what I say to people when they start coaching with me is like coach removes your choices. doesn't yep. give you choices. And it's that kind of idea of like, yes, we need to do prep. We need to build resources. But once we have them, then we use them. And if they're used correctly, they'll stay. And that's kind of the simplification of training is like, oh, I think I should do all these things. And X coach said I should do this. And Y system says I should do that. And there's probably merit to every single thing in there at the right time or for the right person. But when you start going like, oh, I'm doing yoga class and then I'm doing FRC and then I'm doing strength training and then I'm doing hot yoga and then I'm I'm throwing all these things on top of itself where it's like, oh, you're overtraining something and then if we add them all up, there's probably some holes that isn't getting trained. So that needs to get trained. Yeah. And it's that, that's the art, I think, basically, as you nailed, it's like, oh, can we, what, like, what can we just take the ax to and get rid of and never touch again because it's covered and everything else? Yeah. And yeah, well, kinda... especially, well, I think that's the big barrier with flexibility training, right? Like, so how much do I have to stretch and, what's the minimum like that focus um is blocking you from making any progress i'm not i'm not saying you have to abandon you like bodybuilding you can keep bodybuilding but we are going to probably have to just scale it a little bit and change the exercises how they're done you know a lot of different things know that know that the intensity and just that word in general surprises people when you talk about flexibility intensity and they're like what do you mean intensity it's stretch it's like no there's going to be that's it. why you're not flexible <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's periods of intensity and that's going to affect other training stimuluses especially if we're trying to get more flexible trying to improve our flexibility so 
you know, I get that question a lot. Do I have to abandon everything to get flexible? No, you don't, but you do have to change your mindset. You do have to know that flexibility is going to affect those training modalities. And that's going to have to take a little bit of a backseat while we work on improving these ranges and trying to look for that, uh, improvement in flexibility and that's that blocks everyone because they just don't want to give up the old faithful i like getting a pump well you don't you don't have to give up your pump just you have to scale your pump (laughs) to you know two or three exercises instead of instead of instead of instead of just doing standing barbell bicep curl maybe you need some seated incline bicep curl to stretch out your biceps and shoulder extension to help you know it's yeah, it's it's such a limited scope of how people still can't seem how to integrate it into whatever they need to do, right? And it's like kind of like the post I made yesterday is obviously there's two factors we have to take into consideration. What are the requirements needed for X person to achieve X goal or whatever or X movement? Yeah. And what does X person want to do outside of achieving x you know what i mean and it's like the example i made is a sprinter is going to need a lot less variables than likely you know just speaking from like a a theoretical standpoint than a running back because a running back is going to deal in foot in american football is going to deal with a lot more variables on the field with opposing players his own players you know and different things than a sprinter is so you know, say it's like a ballerina is obviously going to need a little bit more flexibility than a powerlifter from a pure, just natural yeah. way the sport is. But that doesn't mean a powerlifter doesn't need flexibility in his shoulders to stay healthy or to, you know, to whatever. It's, it's, it's what very, what degree, at what intensity, at what measurement, and, and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. The yeah, definite idea of like knowing what you need, knowing what you have. Knowing when to stop and knowing when to push. Yeah. Well, and, and, and then compare those two opposite ends of the extreme. Since we're, gonna, since we're talking about rotation, what are you going to see in a power lifter, in a ballerina? Because there's actually going to be a lot of similarities that you're going to see in rotational mechanics in a ballerina, power lifter, and that's going to be excessive external rotation and generally lack of internal rotation of the hips. Both yep. of those athletes, even though a ballerina is more flexible than a power lifter, this is how we know that flexibility isn't necessarily the, the key indication of, 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 uh, you know, of, you know, maybe injury reduction or whatever, but there are a lot of, a lot of times they're going to have the same issues. I know a lot of ballerinas that have had hip issues, knee issues, yeah. et cetera, because they literally from a young age have warped their hips into extreme ranges of external rotation, sometimes more than actually what's naturally there. Yeah. And then, they have zero internal rotation. That's going to cause issues. And again, same thing with the powerlifter. That's why you see ad- the adductor issues that you see. It's why you see the hip replacements that you see. It's because these guys literally train themselves into zero internal rotation as a byproduct of what the sport requires. Yeah. So do you need to spend an, an exorbitant amount of time developing those qualities? No, probably not because what's, you know, what's the time cost of what it's going to get, but it's should they displace a little bit of the, of the opposite quality to probably maintain some good health in their joints. If they want a longer career or, or they want to not be in a wheelchair when they retire or whatever, 
my advice would be yes. You want to display some capacity of the opposite extreme of rotation that you're constantly stuck in or ex- or displaying at any given point. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's that kind of thing that I find kind of interesting. Like we obviously have the the push pull movement planes, like horizontal pull, vertical push, blah blah blah, and you know, basic strength programming one hundred one is you want to kind of rough balance between them. Yeah. But then it gets like oh how much volume if we look at training tonnage but then no one has really no one has got a rough figure i've got a few for myself but it's still just based on my sort of limited samples but like oh if we train so much external rotation we need so much internal rotation oh vice versa it's like oh well what is the yeah what is the minimum obviously and what is the optimum for two different things and then what is excessive that's kind of interesting final frontier that hasn't got a concrete answer for me other than as we know you have to do it mm-hmm. it's like it's very easy to understand linear planes of motion horizontal push and pull uh to pull straight in but rotation uh rotation global rotation isolated rotation of the body in all the directions oh how do we do it I remember a while ago a couple of years ago i was having a recurring kind of problem with across a client group and one of the fixes was rotational sit-ups we weren't doing enough floor rotation. There wasn't enough rotation of bringing the shoulder to the opposite hip in the yeah. training we were doing. So the fix of it was like, uh, people know Turkish sit-ups. So the first part of a Turkish get-up, just training that kind of rotation along that diagonal of the body was the fix to all the over-rotation we were doing in sort of extension side. So it's kind of it's interesting just to find these things. But then the fix wasn't, the fix was like three or four sets twice a week got like eliminated the issue and stopped it reoccurring so then it's like oh but then if you look at say all the stuff they're doing in extension and all these kind of things they're doing probably about eight to ten times that amount of volume if we counter all their all their activities tumbling bridging splits everything that goes in the rotation in the opposite direction yeah and that's i guess yeah that's a good kind of thing to reflect on because a lot of people are hammering their internal rotation right now and almost afraid <laughs> to like get back into traditional things right and it's like yeah it has to be there to what degree yeah i think we're still trying to figure that out um but understanding that in rotation in, is being applied in the, a lot of the movements that you're doing and that you know, as you're working on it it's going to get better i don't necessarily think we have to hammer internal rotation to that degree that I think a lot of people are kind of getting obsessed about like, like every day, like if people I've talked to some people are like, I'm smashing internal rotation every day, like for five minutes, like, you know, you don't need to do that. Um, there is a process of like recovery and damage and repair, right? Like, but it's, and then it's you, funny you brought that up because I had a guy this morning on one of my programs who was having issues in internal rotation stretch. He kept saying he only felt it in his knees or whatever. So it's like, okay, like, just send me, send me uh, a video of you doing some like active, I had a specific active IR drill, internal rotation drill that I wanted to do. I was like, just send me a drill of, of this. You know, I want to see where your, where your femurs and everything get up to. Perfect 45 degrees on both sides on the active. I said, okay, you don't need to do any more internal rotation stretching. And he was kind of like, what? He, what do you mean? I was like, well, you have perfectly active, you know, you have 45 degrees of active internal rotation. I know from doing the strength program that, you're going to use that range and you don't need to sit there in a static stretch and do internal rotation anymore. And he was kind of blown away by it, but it's like exactly what we're talking about. It's get it 
and then it'll be there as long as you use it. And it's the same thing for me. Like I checked in yesterday, I squat every day. I checked in on my pigeon pose, both with my hip and external and internal perfect range in both sides. Have I, I haven't, I don't ever even stretch it anymore. I just check in on it from time to time to make sure it's there hung out in it for about a minute or so. Cool. Whereas some people are gonna be the opposite. You're going to need five minutes, <laughs> you know, to get into it and, and find it. And then, and you're, you're going to have certain lines of tissue that you find just from your lifestyle or whatever that get tighter than others. Like I never need to touch my hamstrings, but my quads and my hip flexors and stuff, I need to spend a lot more time, a lot more volume on than I do other places. You know, there's just certain things that you're going to find that you do need to spend more time on for whatever reason. Honestly, does the reason even matter? Probably not. But I think that sort of your sensory motor understanding is probably more important I would think than the volume, right? Like if you can, if you can feel what certain movements in certain positions are, your progress is going to be a lot faster and you're probably gonna have to put a lot less volume and work in than somebody who, like you said, you, you, you can't, like I've told people couch stretch, like squeeze your glutes. And they're like, I don't know how it's like, well, it's, is it really a quad flexibility issue or is it like a, you have no sensory motor understanding of what it feels like to extend your hip? Like what's the real issue. Right. And so then when somebody gets powerful, strong hip extension, it's like the connection is made. So it does, it has an impact on what we're trying the outcome we're kind of trying to achieve. Right. So, and I think that's like one of the, and again, that's like what you touched on earlier, Lucas is, that's one of the biggest things I think flexibility allows us is it allows us this reflection of range of motion, what's tight, what's, what's contracting, what's not, you know, and, and it gives us more almost bodily awareness. If you're, if you're being intentional about what you're doing. Um, And it's like the famous thing that Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about how people, he would say that people would come train with him and they would never, they wouldn't get the same outcome that he got and and he always contributed to intention of what it is that he's doing, right? Like he's, he's way more intentional about every single movement. What does it feel like? Do you feel the stretch? Do you feel the contraction? Are you accepting it? Are you rejecting it? And that's going to have a lot more, I think, outcome over, you know, or at least a lot more, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? It's, it's just going to have, a it's just going to give us a lot more, than just doing something for the sake of doing something yeah Yeah. right it's like if you are squatting and you can't feel your quads it's a huge first thing that you probably want to focus on is what feeling your quads what does that actually feel like Uh, because a lot of people can't you know i I will what do you what do you feel and it's 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 an interesting question because a lot of people always stumble it's like the second you ask them that they go they pause right and it's like that's what do you mean? What do I feel? It's like, well, what you feel is kind of important <laughs> if we want to get the results that we want to get, right? Like, it's actually probably the most important. And if your trainer is not, or your coach is not asking you how things feel and they're trying to get the feedback of what you're, what you're experiencing, you might want to find a different coach, just right? Fire emojis. It's not enough. Fire, fire, fire. But yeah. it's, it's, it's just the stretching. It's like, we've all, we've all been through it what is your first response to starting flexibility? I know what mine was. It was fucking painful. Yeah. Like when, and <laughs> it was painful because I stretched too far. I didn't know. I didn't know how to stretch. Didn't know how to ease into it. Didn't whatever. So it's like yeah. a lot of those 
sensations that people experience are going to give us a lot of feedback as to what's really going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if, and, and again, I, to tie that all together, I think that the more awareness that you have over certain parts of your body, the less time that you're going to have to spend on it because the awareness is there. The volume yeah. is just going to accumulate a level of awareness that like you're just spending so much time in repetition here that you're either completely wasting your time or at some point you're just going to have to get it, give in and kind of experience whatever it is you're experiencing. And once you know what that feels like, it's a lot easier to access it a lot faster than, yeah. than not. Right. That's just my kind of uh, experience with it. It's one of those things like in the way I teach things in my system is like when you start doing it, we do a lot of exercises. The programs are quite big yeah. as you get better, as we build the resources or build the ability to access it, the programs get very simple. And it's kind of like, you know, say, I don't know, all the, all the various muscles and side splits. We have loads of drills, all these pissing dog drills, standing tilts, their positions in and of themselves. But once you can do them, then it becomes like, say for me, I do side splits. I can turn the muscles on and off at the right points because I have the sensation that I need on the day. And it varies day to day. I go, oh, today, Dr. Magnus is feeling tight or under more tension. Okay, I will perform a leg curling type motion in my side split, even though it's still straight legged. And that's what gives me my contraction release. Oh, the next day, it's like my right glute needs to be held harder than my left. Mm. Okay. But only because I have built up this sensation base in an isolated capacity. Yeah. And then I can go, oh, I can basically variability and fly check things on the fly and just go, okay, this needs to go. This is this. But until you have that experience, you can't turn it on. But then it's on the counterpoint on the bigger movements. You don't have the experience of the, the base thing your body wants to do then you can't add things in. If you're already adding things in as a preconception, once again, knees out and squatting. Why? Maybe knees out is bad for you. Maybe it's great for you. But right. you haven't just tried it with the way you think to build a place like this is the way my body naturally wants to squat in its current state with its current resources. Now I add some resources in, train whatever on the side, you know, I do glute activation. That's cool, arguable or not. But then you do it. Then you do your squat with your base state squat as a reference point. And then you yeah. go, oh, that was great for my squat. Oh, that done nothing. Oh, it didn't really do anything or it caused me to be fatigued at my top sets. Okay, I won't do it or I will do it. Right. Same with internal rotation. Oh, I can't ro my hips don't internally rotate well. We'll work on it. Then we go back to our base state squat yeah. and then test it. We go, oh, that feels great. That feels bad. Okay, cool. We have comparison and reference points. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's even like uh, Tom Platts was famous for doing leg extensions before squats. Yeah. It's like, what's, what's probably one of the primary reasons. I mean, you just get such a massive pump and activation through the quads that when you go to squat, you're going to know what your quads feel like. Now you can argue whether it's stupid that you're pre-fatiguing. I mean, he, his reasons for squatting were obviously bodybuilding, right? So it's just accumulating time and retention and volume and, and, and those kind of things. But, you know, so maybe if you're trying to test a one rep max, it's probably a stupid idea to do leg extensions before a squat. But if you're, if your goal is to get good quad activation in a squat, Maybe leg extensions before squat helps because now your quads are pumped. You've got the blood going through there. You've created this neurological connection with what it feels like to use your quads. And so now you might use them better in a squat. And it's like, yeah. that's the argument I always make about isolating exercises to achieve an outcome is yeah. a squat as an example, like split squats might be great. Step ups might be great. Lunges might be great, whatever. But if you don't translate the sensation that you get from those exercises back into squatting, you're just wasting your time. Yeah. So it's a matter of 
is the issue really because you don't have a certain capacity or is it just because you don't know how something is supposed to feel when you, when you're trying to bias that in a certain movement. Yeah. And if, if you're hip dominant, you know, and of course strength and range of motion is going to come into play, right? Like if you're stronger in the hips, when you fatigue, it's very likely that being hip dominant, you're going to take over if you're not being mindful of what you're doing with your hips in your, in your low back. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so there's a lot of things that come into play, but again, it's, it's, you know, again, I've had people like, okay, I did a ton of split squats and my knees feel great. And I've get, I got good range of motion and I got whatever. And then when they go to squats, they start pushing their knees out again. And it's like, okay, did you push your knees out when you did a split squat? No. Why would you push your knees out when you're doing regular squat then? It's like, you know, do you push your knees out when you run? Yeah. No. Okay. Do you push your knees out when you ride your bike? No. Okay. Do you push your knees out when you jump? No. So it's like when you start to ask those questions and they go, Oh, okay. You know, so it's like, it's trying to any sort of isolation that we're trying to achieve. What's most yeah. important is how we integrate it back into whatever it was. And that's how we simplify things. Because if we can't make that bridge, you're always going to be constantly doing a bunch of just stuff to yeah. try to get the same outcome that you could really get with one thing. If you're just doing it correctly. Yeah. And- Kind of interesting one just to uh, throw it out as a topic for the next podcast, questions to ask yourself when training. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. What's that's the checklist? Training, that's when training becomes a practice, right? Because that's that's the thought. That's the you just get into that. Like I that's just the way it is now when I train. Like I've been doing it for so long and still every time I train, I'm I'm evaluating how everything felt. How did that first rep I maybe you do, you know. Uh, three sets with your warm up weight, just because you're trying to make the connections that day. What am I? What am I feeling this day? And so many people make that mistake to only evaluate what they're doing when they do it as well. Like they'll just not even evaluate. They're just like, okay, I'm going to go train now. I'm going to go train. I'm not. But outside of training, also, are you? I can sit here and talk to you guys and work on the the bracing stability of my trunk that I would use in a squat while I'm talking to you. I can rotate my hip internally while we're talking and just evaluate those kind of things as we're talking about them or as I'm thinking about them, how I breathe. And a lot of people don't ever do that either. It's just, they only do it when they're in the gym and when they're about to train, it's like, I'm just going to go through these exercises and stuff's going to happen. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. That's when it becomes a practice, right? It's, you're actually evaluating what's happening. Yeah. I think there's a difference between uh, coaching or, or coaching difference between just turning up and doing it at a gym and becoming a practitioner and it's the same at anything there's a difference between someone who just does a bit of climbing and is a climber yeah the same as someone who's, uh, does handstands and is a hand balancer yeah and it's when yeah when it becomes almost more investigative it's probably yeah. the way to go yeah like, how do I get levels. better it's when you start saying how do I get better it's like yeah it's oh. not even how do I get better because I think a lot of people do that but it's the question is they don't ask like how does this affect me and what is my outcome by doing that? Right. What do I get from it? Like, yeah. That's the kind of thing of like, I suppose, I don't want to say that. I want to do questions for the next podcast on this. I think that'd be awesome. Question yeah. would be good. Yeah. Cause it's kind of that idea of like, Oh, I done this and it gave me that result. Cause people go into the gym, like let's face it. People go like even at normal gym level, like people go in and they trash themselves in HIIT classes and cardio classes and, booty pump and body pump and body blast all these kind of classes you get in a gym 
and you can't argue that these people aren't working hard. Like, right. you know, I've taught those classes back in my early days of training and, oh, awful, worst class ever. Anyway, <laughs> but like, you know, I've done them, uh, other stuff. I was like, oh, and you know, people are, they are working hard, but their work is not being questioned and applied. Yeah. And that's gonna, that's the difference between like someone who turn up and will work hard, but still just be the same person in six, eight, ten months time. Versus yeah. someone goes to the gym and goes, oh, I'm doing this and I want this. I want X result. What inputs do I have to do? And what am I doing? And what am I not doing? Yeah. 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 Exercising because you think you have to because it's going to make you healthy or allow you to do some other things that you like doing that aren't aren't healthy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not everyone who exercises is healthy. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then wondering why you're not getting a result or why your flexibility is not improving. And it's like yeah, are we just, are we actually thinking about what's happening when we're here? And that's, I mean, that is rotation in itself. You can look at all the science and, you know, uh, all the, the models of what rotation should be. I think that's where a lot of people mess up rotation is just that in itself is like when you're, when you're practicing rotation, are you like thinking about how you're transferring weight and how your body naturally like transfers weight from one side to the other? Um, those, you know, when you're stretching, are you thinking about how that's like has a rotational capacity to movement? Um, and that's where I don't think you have to complicate a rotation training methodology. It's like, just think about rotation and how it's a natural thing anyway. And you can have it naturally. If when you're stretching, you're thinking about rotation, if you're strength training, you're thinking about rotation, whether it's a squat or uh, whatever, man, like that's really what rotation comes down to. It's like actually thinking about rotation. You don't have to do rotation to, you know what I mean? It's like, it's all, it's really the premise of all of it though. Yeah. I was kind of, yeah, there's an interesting thing from Tai Chi and Baogua and other stuff of finding the line in the circle and finding the square in the circle. So when you're moving, even a straight movement, I'm moving my arm up and down, but what's the actual circle that I'm making in the body some way to make that mm. oh i'm walking in a circle how am i actually doing this how is it a combination of straight lines that is making that circle mm. i suppose that kind of i have to wrap up anyway soon enough but i suppose one of the things that send to people is just like you can do movements with a different focus you can do them with a linear focus which everyone does or you can do them with a rotational focus and a challenge to people who got to this point in the podcast is do all your normal rotation do all rotations do all your normal movements movements whatever uh, but do them with the focus of like i'm trying to rotate and spiral in the movement and see what happens and don't try and force it but just try and notice it first and go what's really happening here is my arms internally and externally rotating when i'm doing my push-up and then try emphasize it at the right portion mm. yeah that's yeah, yeah. That's, that's i think that's, <laughs> that's yeah it's, exactly it's something a lot of elite level lifters do quite well is they relax at the right time and they create tension in the right time in the right areas. Yeah. Right. It's like some people squat and they're exhausted by the time before they even start their first rep. Cause they just create so much tension everywhere that they're just squeezing and they're hard and it's just everything. And it's like, it's like, wait, are you just holding your breath or did you actually brace anything? <laughs> right. It's, 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 whereas you'll see quite good squatters is something Lucas and I talked about a lot is how relaxed they look. Yeah. right until the point that they need it. Right. And it's like the same argument that can be made for sprinters, right? It's like 
are you creating tension always? Are you just so rigid and everything's so forced that you're just wasting energy? Or are you extremely accurate with when and where you're creating it and putting it down? And I think that's even one of the arguments that we've made for flexibility before is just think of global tension as energy expenditure. The more overall tension that you have, you're likely expending a lot more energy than somebody who is a lot more relaxed and a lot more flexible. And so you can access through training, of course, when and where to use and create the tension that you need to versus just always being tense and always being in tension. And if you're always that way, it's hard to access anything that you're already in, right? And we're t- especially when, you know, to bring it all back to rotation, you can't access, you can only access varying degrees of internal rotation from internal rotation. So if you're in rotate in internal rotation, it's going to be hard to access it, but you can access good internal rotation from external rotation and vice versa and so on and so forth. Just kind of in my spill on it is, is you have to think of it like that too, is any varying degree of one is going to give you more access to the other because you're coming from the opposite. Right. So yeah. If you're in extension, you can't extend. You're in extension. Yeah. If you're in a more neutral, quote unquote, position, you can access extension, you can access flexion, you can access internal rotation, you can access external rotation, et cetera. And the opposite being for flex, you know, so and then of course, one thing I use flexibility for a lot is if you improve both qualities and aspects, it gives you a broader range of access to these things at different times, which yeah. for most people is gonna probably be more beneficial than not. Yeah. Yeah. Wanna Yeah. That's that idea. I think we always have this idea, I suppose, of neutral spine. Everyone goes this just to kinda wrap up. But no one thinks neutral legs and arms. And then moving from that and seeing what happens. Yeah. Like, neutral spine. And then do something weird with the legs and hips. And uh why not just neutral neutral everything and then move and see what happens during the movement. Let it happen. When you see what the tendencies are during the movement, then try and emphasize them or overemphasize one or overemphasize the other to get kind of the extremities versus going, it has to be this to begin with. Neutral legs and arms. That's the, uh, that's the conclusion. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Right. Gentlemen, I have to actually wrap it up here. Yeah. Great podcast. Great chat, guys. Yeah, nice good. Well, maybe just grab a few questions next time and run through them from everyone. Yeah, that would be cool. We could, yeah. we could, uh, questions. yeah, ask the audience. Ask the audience. All right. Cool. All right, guys. Take care. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.